There was a soldier in Spain in the 1500s who was uh, deeply into valor and uh, honor and wanting to serve his country, and he was wounded in battle. He took in a, a cannonball wound to his leg, and he was convalescing, and as he was convalescing, his leg wasn't set right. And he didn't like the way he looked when he stood because he wanted to look powerful and mighty. And so in that vain sense of wanting to put this image, he actually had the doctors break and reset his leg without anesthetic because that's how badly he wanted to look the part of a warrior. And while he was convalescing, he asked for some romance novels that he could read while he was laid up. And they didn't have any romance novels, but they had two books about our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he devoured those books, and his life was completely and radically transformed. He gave his life to Jesus Christ as he was healing during that time, and he was radically changed as he surrendered his entire being to God. This man laid out a definition for prayer that is one of my all-time favorites, and it's this. Prayer is gazing on the God who is gazing upon me with love. Ignatius Loyola wrote that. He said, prayer is gazing on God who is gazing upon me with love. I love the sound of that. I think when we get to that place where we really sense the loving gaze upon our hearts from our Heavenly Father, we are transformed. When we sense the loving gaze of our Heavenly Father upon us, life is at its best. When we sense the loving gaze of our Heavenly Father upon us, it's there that we flourish, that we become fulfilled, and that we find our purpose or as we'll be talking about today, we become whole. Do you long for a flourishing and fulfilling life? Do you long to experience the loving gaze of God the Father? We are in a series called Becoming Whole, as we're studying the book of James. And we are calling it Becoming Whole because last week we saw that James laid out as a good physician would, uh, some uh, symptoms of an issue, the diagnosis, and the course of treatment. And the diagnosis he gives us in verse 8 of chapter 1 where he says, a person who is broken is a person who is double-minded. They're unstable in all that they do. And we saw that that word double-minded actually means two-souled. To have two souls. It was James' definition of brokenness is to have one foot in the world and one foot in the ways of God and try to live life there. He says it doesn't work. Your heart's divided. Your affections are divided. And he says true life comes when we become whole. When we live and give Jesus Christ our all. So today we're going to go a little more in depth and how we cultivate lives of wholeness. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to James chapter 1. We're going to be focusing on verses 1 to 18. If you uh, have a paper Bible, you can turn to the right and go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, go past Hebrews, and then you'll get to James. And if you're using our 
Bibles here in the worship center. I'll be on page 977. In our text today, James gives us a vision for human flourishing. He gives us a roadmap to wholeness. We're working from a premise from last week. If you look in chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, it says this, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is, here it is as I mentioned, double-minded or two-souled and unstable in all that they do. James's premise is that we as human beings, even followers of Jesus Christ, can drift into this double-mindedness, as he called it, or this two-souledness, this place of a divided heart where we love the world and we love God. And he writes this letter to pull us out of that brokenness and bring us into wholeness, which is life 100% undivided following God. The people he's writing to are Jewish Christians who have lived their lives more like unbelievers than Christians. It's like they have this coat that they put on, and their coat is Christianity, and when they put it on, they're Christian, but really inside, they're not. It's just a, a veneer, a cover. This kind of living, when you live like that, when you live with like this veneer of Christianity, but inside you're not really following God, that leads to a life of brokenness. It's like having one foot in the world and the other foot in the ways of God. We drift out of the loving gaze of God when we live like that. So today we're going to look at Three steps that move us towards wholeness that James gives us. Here are three things that we can do if we want to be whole. The first thing we can do is think rightly about difficult times. Think rightly about difficult times. Here we have a big surprise, and if we're honest, somewhat of a letdown. James tells us the goal in verse 4. Let's look at verse 4. It says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, and this is his definition of wholeness, you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's the goal. He wants us whole. He wants us mature and complete and not lacking anything. Mature and complete equals wholeness. This means a single devotion to God, where all of my heart, all of my longings, all of my desires, all of my affections are channeled in one direction to worship and glorify and honor and be with God. It is there we find wholeness. It is there we sense the gaze of our loving Father. To be united in heart and solely devoted to Him, that is the goal. Well, if that's the goal, how do we get there? James shows us this. He backs into how we get there. So wholeness is where we're going, but how do we get there? We have to work backwards in this passage. So look at verse 4 again. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's the goal. So back up a little bit. Let perseverance finish its work so that you become whole. So we need perseverance to become whole. We need perseverance to finish its work so we become whole. Okay, well, how do we get perseverance? We back up again. Look at verse 3. 
because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So we need to be whole. In order to behold, in order to be whole, we need perseverance. How do we get perseverance through the testing of our faith? That's great. How do we get the testing of our faith? Look at the second part of verse 2. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Trials and hardships lead to the testing of our faith, which leads to perseverance, which leads to wholeness. That's what he's saying. So this is saying God allows us to experience trials and difficulties in this life because when we wonder why God is allowing this to happen and when we cry out to him and ask him why he's doing it, in that heartache, in that struggle, our faith is made real. And that produces in us a perseverance that we can't find anywhere else. And this perseverance produces a wholeness. It produces a completeness. So you're saying difficult times, times of brokenness, produce wholeness? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what he's saying. Suffering and trials lead to perseverance. Perseverance leads to wholeness. Because trials often send us to that place where all we can do is stand under that loving gaze of God. We run to that place where we seek his favor in his hand. And also in the place of trial, there is a reward and a blessing that comes. Carrie read it for us. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is a wholeness that can come when we tell the truth about where we are. There is no wholeness without truth-telling. So James is being upfront with us, like we saw in Proverbs, where wounds of a friend can be trusted. And he's saying there is no wholeness without pain. There is a wholeness and a completeness that can come only when we cling upon God during the trials and difficulties of our life. There's a growth that happens there that we can't artificially create anywhere else. So here's the deal. If we want to make sure we don't miss out on this wholeness, we have to do something when we go through a trial. If we want to make sure we capture this, we have to make sure when we're going through a trial that we do one more thing. It's the very first words of verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. So we backed up from wholeness to perseverance to testing of faith to trials, but then to realize that, to apply this perseverance to our faith, James says, consider it pure joy, but we have to explain what that means. Because sometimes we get really confused about that. I remember when I was going through a real difficult time and a very well-intentioned friend called me up and it was when the pain was just so real and, and it was just, I was just hurting and I was in a really terrible place and this person, well-intentioned, said, well, remember what James said, consider it pure joy when you feel this pain 
That's not what James means. He doesn't mean that when we're hurting or when we're in pain or we're in agony or when we're suffering that we paint this fake happy face and say, well, I'm going to consider it pure joy because that's what James says. That's not what this verse means. He does not say feel joy when you go through trial. He does not say consider it happiness when you go through difficult times because happiness is a feeling that comes and goes. He is very specific in what he says when we have to remember the goal is wholeness. We backed up into this, remember? So what does considerate pure joy mean? Well, the goal is wholeness. We need perseverance for the wholeness. We need to have a testing of our faith to get the perseverance. We need a trial to get the testing of our faith. And then we consider it pure joy, which means you think rightly about difficult times. It means you realize and you reflect that though this is terrible, God is at work in my heart. He is doing something. He is drawing me close to Him. He's using this horrible, painful time to free me from being too sold. He's using this time to refine me, to pull me out of one foot in the world, and to be fully more devoted to Him. That's what God's doing. We think rightly about difficult times. That's what it means to consider it pure joy. It's not in the moment. It's after the pain has calmed down, after we're thinking about what we're going through, when we're in that place of reflection, we consider it and say, thank God that we serve a God who uses everything, including difficult times, to draw me closer to Him. Trials test us. They examine us. They ask really hard questions about what we're truly living for. But they bring us closer to Him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon realized this, and he said, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I've learned to consider joy when I go through difficulty because God's at work there. C.S. Lewis says it's like if you invite someone in to do some work on your house and renovate it, and you're thinking, I want just an upgrade of a kitchen or an upgrade of a bathroom and, and maybe some paint and new countertops and new things, and then this person comes in, and all of a sudden they just start tearing out everything and knocking down walls and doing things. You're like, oh, I don't want that to happen. And then at the end, you have something new and even better. That's what God does if we want to be whole, if we want our inner fractures healed, as contrary as it sounds, we need to trust him and consider joy because when we endure trials, God is increasing our perseverance, which leads to wholeness. That's not easy to do. That's a hard thing. That's why James gives us something next. That helps. The next thing that we can do to move towards wholeness is ask God for wisdom and strength. To ask God for wisdom and strength. Right after he explains why and how we are to count it all joy, right after he defines wholeness in verse 4, where he says, be mature and complete, not lacking anything, the very next thing he says is verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God 
going through suffering and considering a joy is not natural. It's not natural for us as human beings. So James says, you're going to need God in order to do that. You're going to need God's wisdom and power in order to do that. The only way you can do that is to stand under the loving gaze of God and bask in his help. And then look at who you are asking. Look at the second part of verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault? And it will be given to you. God is not up there in heaven when we go through trials with his arms folded saying, Why do you not like this trial? That's not the approach of this, of our Heavenly Father. He is lavish in giving his help and strength in times of difficulty. Wisdom overflows to those who go through the fires of difficulty in this life. Now, when we hear the word generously, where it says he gives generously, we often think in terms of financial giving. But that's not exactly what it means here. The original word here means sincerity or single or simple. It's focused. It could be worded, the God who gives sincerely without holding anything back. See, James is emphasizing God's character here. The one that we call to for help is worthy of us to go and call on him. He is sincere and true. He will help us. James says God is our father and we are his children and that relationship should be expressed not only in his sincere giving but in our sincere asking that we can go to him and ask. And as a loving father, his heart is moved towards his children in that situation. Look at verses 16 to 18. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God is good even in the midst of our difficulties and suffering. So what do we do? We ask God for help. We do what James told us to do in chapter 4, verse 8, where he said, come near to God and he will come near to you. Well, what about when I go through a suffering and I ask God for help and all the pain doesn't go away? That is when we have to realize that there's something even greater than relief from pain and relief from trial, and that is finding God in the midst of it. God is better than relief from pain and discomfort, and he is present even when we can't feel him. If we don't believe that, we will remain in a state of brokenness instead of wholeness because we will feel like God isn't good enough, so i got to go and chase all these comforts in the world to medicate the pain inside of me. God isn't good enough to heal, so I need to add to God this addiction and that addiction and this thing and that thing, and we remain broken. That's what it says in verses 6 to 8. 
But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, for such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. They don't trust God. James is talking about a person there who loves God's wisdom on Sunday, but wants what the world offers on Monday. That a person, that kind of person likes a friendship with God one day and a friendship with the ways of the world the next. Such a person is tossed and blown about by the wind. Such people don't, in all sincerity, cry out to God and say, Lord, I really want to follow you with all my heart in the midst of this trial. Would you help me? A two-souled person doesn't do that. They go find comfort somewhere else. Less trustworthy. They create fake gods. Those who are pursuing wholeness when they sense their lives are not lining up with God, they repent. And they turn to God and they ask for his forgiveness and they call out for his help. Andrew Brunson was a, is a Christian pastor from North Carolina who spent 20 years in Turkey. He had a quiet but deep ministry there until 2016 when a failed military coup of the government caused him to be arrested with some journalists, activists, military officers, and others. The Turkish government labeled Brunson a spy. Brunson was held for more than a year without charges, and he nearly spent two years in prison, often enduring long, drowned-out interrogation sessions. At one point, it looked like he could spend years, even decades, in the Turkish prison. Finally, Brunson was released from prison, and he returned to the United States. In a Wheaton College Chapel talk, Brunson candidly said that he did not feel God's overwhelming presence during his stay in prison. He said, I felt something even deeper. I felt something even deeper. Brunson said, after a few days in prison, I completely lost the sense of God's presence because God was silent and he remained silent for two years. When he was finally brought to trial, things were even worse. He said, there are some who go into the valley attesting and some who don't make it out. I thought I wasn't going to make it out. I was broken. I lay there alone in my solitary cell. I had great fear, fear ter terrible grief, and I was weeping. And the thought kept going through my mind, where are you, God? Why are you so far away? And I opened my mouth as I was crying and weeping aloud, and I was surprised at what I heard coming out of my mouth. I heard myself saying through the tears, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And then I realized, there is my victory. Even if you're silent, I love you. Even if you're distant, I love you. Even if you let my enemy harm me, I love you. You see, there is a reality of grace from God in a trial that goes beyond our feelings and our emotions, that goes beyond our understandings and our need for a quick fix. 
Jesus is all. To move from double-mindedness to wholeness, not only do we think rightly about trials, not only do we ask God for his help and strength, but finally, you find your life and boast in the work of God. When God is working on your heart and you notice that you stay in that place, you know he's doing something. It's very likely that the greatest trial that these churches were facing that James is writing to is the people in these churches were being, uh, they were going through poverty and they were persecuted by people who were rich and wealthy. We see that in chapter 2, verse 6. Look at there, it says, But you have dishonored the poor. It is, not the, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? James says the only way to deal with the trials of not having enough money and the trials of having too much money is to remember God and find your life in Him. Look at verses 9 to 10. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms and falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. I like how this is worded in the New Living Translation. It says, believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. What this is saying is regardless of our state of life, we look for God to be active in our life, for the Holy Spirit to be convicting, guiding, leading us, and humbling us. When you sense God moving in your heart, when you sense him loving you, when you sense him convicting you and guiding you and leading you, there's nothing better than that. God is active. He's in relationship with you at a level where you live for him and look to him and boast and worship in him. Once again, if we mix our devotion with God, with the ways of the world, we become broken. That is not where we want to be because this tells us that life is short. We want to live with a view of eternity. So how do we live with a view of eternity while we're here on earth? We have to do three things to do that. First of all, read scripture. We have to read God's word. We have to have regular time in God's word. God's word washes our mind and helps us think rightly about all sorts of things, trials included. We have a Crossview Bible reading plan. If you don't know where to start in the Bible, pick up that reading plan at the Welcome Center today. As a church, we're walking through the New Testament together in 2024, and we're reading certain scriptures. And I encourage all of us to do that. So we regularly wash our minds with God's word. But when you get that reading plan and you look at the reading for the day and you open your Bible and you read it, don't just read it. Don't read it to like scan through. But pause. Think about what you're reading. Think about what it's saying. Number two, we pray. We gaze on God 
who is gazing upon us with love. Prayer is bringing our needs and talking to him, and, and you, you should do all that. But prayer is also just sitting under the gaze of a loving God. Because it's there we are transformed. Inviting him into the deep places of our pain, celebrating with him in the places of our joy, and surrendering to him all the details of our life. And finally, the last thing is we are to reflect You can grow in the Christian life by running 100 miles an hour and go to one thing and the next and the next and the next and the next and and find time somewhere to squeeze in time to pray and read your Bible. You, You can grow somewhat that way. I'm not saying you can't. In some seasons, that's just how it is, and I get that. But if you desire wholeness, a deep-seated wholeness, Wholeness requires more than scripture and prayer on the fly. Wholeness to remove one foot from the world and put a heart fully devoted to God requires us to slow down and know our hearts. It requires requires us to notice and reflect what's really going on inside of us and to know who God really is. What is the Bible really saying to my heart in this moment? God, what do you really want me to do with this? God, I notice anxiety in my heart right now. Why is that? And allow the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts to the place where you realize you need to trust in Him. The reflective life is necessary for gospel wholeness. And when we live lives with an eternal view of God, with the help of scripture, prayer, and reflection, we have the power to walk into wholeness. We have the power to think rightly about trials. We have the power to ask God for his help and strength. And we have the power to notice God working on our hearts and boast in him. And it's in that place we become healed. It's in that place we become free It's in that place we become whole. Wholeness instead of brokenness. That's what we're called to pursue. It will involve pain. It will involve saying no to temporary comforts and things we chase to comfort our heart. But it will be worth it because Jesus is so much greater. There was a great Scottish preacher named Samuel Rutherford who said this. Be not cast down. Don't despair. If you saw him, referring to Jesus, if you saw him who is standing on the shore holding out his arms to welcome you on land, if you really knew who that guy was, who was standing on the shore, arms open wide to welcome you on land, You would not only wade through the sea of wrongs of this world and the pains of life, but through hell itself to get to be with him. What an amazing picture of wholeness. Let's pray. Father, 
Give us new vision. Let us see your son who stands far above all the offerings and trappings of this world. The offerings and trappings that entice our hearts. Let us see that the worldly offering and entrapments are temporary little fake glibs of pleasure that in the end create more brokenness. God, I pray for all of us here, and if there's some here who have never experienced you, Jesus, as the one who makes us whole, by your grace, would you let that happen? By your spirit, I ask this week that we'd walk into deeper places of wholeness. I thank you that you are a savior that saves and makes us whole. And we find our life and our meaning and our purpose in you. If we followed a religious notion and have not experienced that in you, will you change that by your spirit? Let us truly find in you life and life abundant. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.